And I was tired of being the only one who bitched. So, so if this goes out, mm -hmm. this little one in the middle. This is the Slow Exposure Podcast, hosted by me, Eliza Edwards, a Berlin-based writer and founder of Slow Exposure, an Instagram account that celebrates emerging talent within the sphere of sustainability. This podcast is a series of conversations with experts from all corners of the fashion industry, between myself and designers, activists, CEOs and more. The idea started last year in London, I brought my microphone with me everywhere I went, pressing the red button when we started our conversations. This series is supported by Vestiaire Collective, the leading global app for pre-loved fashion. Discover a more sustainable, circular way of buying and selling a wide range of premium, designer and luxury pieces from their global community by joining their movement and becoming a fashion activist today. Last year, I sat across the table from the American journalist Melissa Dreyer in her ground floor flat in Berlin, with two glasses of red wine between us. Melissa, who was the former German correspondent for Women's Wear Daily, has interviewed the likes of Jill Sander in the early stages of Jill's career. Growing up in New York with parents who enjoyed the art of dressing up, Melissa has a true understanding for quality. Our conversation makes light of the extreme quantities we're asked to consume in modern times, and we discuss whether beautiful design is the thing of the past. Together, we unpick the umbrella term of sustainability and how we can make our clothing last longer. My fashion consciousness started very early. And my, it, it, it was partially through osmosis because it comes from my grandfather. He made the samples for Ben Zuckerman, who was a major coat producer in uh, New York. My grandfather stopped sometime in the 60s. I was a men's fashion editor in New York. Uh, my heart is in menswear. I fell into everything. I mean, I studied intellectual history, so, yeah. But it's, it's a feeling for clothes. Um, when I had a team in New York and they would say, can you teach me about fashion? Can you teach me this? And I'd say, you can, what I can do is try to explain why I think what I think mm -hmm. and try to show you what I see. You have to find the language for yourself as a journalist. That's, that's, the, that's the fun part, is trying to find your own vocabulary and your own style. But I said, I can only take you with me. Watch what I do. And it, it worked with quite a few people. I guess that's also like what you were saying with your husband who teaches art that he can kind of educate, but you can't give someone their aesthetic or tell them how to paint in the way that you can't tell someone how to dress or what perspective to have. Because yeah. it's something that you develop yourself. But what you can do as in art, as, as in fashion, there are precepts of composition. What, what counts is a certain balance or... If the desire is for imbalance, a very pronounced imbalance. But this is when German is so useful, um, has sometimes wonderful uh, expressions. And one of the best ones is that it's this in sich stimmig, that yeah. somehow it works within itself. I don't have to like it. And this is what I always said my whole career long. I don't have to like it. I have to believe it. You know, believe that something's there. And the authenticity is something that can be lost so easily now with social media and the internet. And and also, I just don't even as a, I, I, I feel for the poor consumer, I haven't the faintest idea how anybody pulls something out of this mass 
this over, over, oversupply of not only product, but of image. Unfortunately, the images, they've already also gotten so dumbed down. I mean, there used to be such fabulous photography that would come out or something that would evoke something. And then as this, you know, the wheel of fashion has been so tightly spun up that as everything goes round and round and round and round and round again, that it's there's just no way to sort of really try to make something your own. We used to have, you know, a couple of years before something was out. You know, it was a more gradual development and so that you, you had time for a great silhouette change to sort of, you know, move it into your own territory. Now that doesn't happen because we have everything all at once. So I just, I just think there's... Um, and it's also nothing new, and it's even nothing new in my own conversation to say we have just too much junk. And I was once in a, a panel, and they said, yeah, and what about designer fashion? It's, it's designer junk, you know, <laughs> just because it's designer. And it's also en masse now Yeah, well. it's en masse. Yeah. And, and it's because of... Um, the only thing I'm interested in these... I mean, if fashion isn't sustainable in some aspect, it doesn't really interests me. That doesn't only mean that I can only look at Stella McCartney. That's not what I'm talking about, but there has to be a sensibility there. But what none of us in are allowed to talk about is the fact that the two major stumbling blocks is that the business of fashion, the structure of the fashion industry is unsustainable mm. because it is predicated on constant growth. I mean, I'm somebody who had to do a lot of uh, all the financial stuff with the public traded companies in Germany. I mean, there were expectations of double-digit growth or at least high single-digit growth every bloody quarter. How's that supposed to happen? And then at the same time, squeezing costs so that you can expand margins, and that's this is not sustainable. And the problem is, is that our economical system is not sustainable. But that can't be the answer. That the the only way that it continues is in in the interest of sustaining a company in the short term. That in the long term has such detrimental effect on the planet. I mean, yeah, we're talking about the planet, and there was, I mean, for. You know, as I say, I fell into fashion and um, or fashion professionally. And at some point when, you know, one has highs and lows in one's career or, or feelings, and I would say to myself at least, well, at least I'm not hurting anybody. And the last couple of years, I can't say that. I can't even say it in terms of what we're doing to people's brains and self-images. But then we're ruining the, we're ruining the planet. And we're ruining it for junk. That's really depressing. If we're ruining it for beautiful things, I would also be distressed, but this makes it even less acceptable. And and the last time there was, you know, the major, the last major economic crisis, you know, the whole thing was, the, the it was, well, it has to be like this. And, and America's always, always, always over-consumed and we have to keep doing it this way. They're, like, sorry, maybe we don't. But... I'm not, um, I'm not a financial uh, conceptualist, I, 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 but my common sense tells me this is, this, sorry guys, it's not possible. Plus I don't agree. Part of the problem is that we become greedy bastards. Um, there are 
In the past, there may have been somebody would have one good suit and they'd wear it for 25 years, but they had the good suit and they really valued it. And they, so they had the choice. They didn't have the choice to be spendthrifts. They didn't have the choice to buy a pair of dancing shoes and throw them out the next day. That wasn't the choice. But if you look at pictures of the 20s, people looked a hell of a lot better and these were not rich people we're seeing on the street. So I don't really agree. What I agree, the, the only problem is, is that we've gotten into this thing where it's only growth counts. Yeah, Companies are, are really hit on the head, whether they're public or not, but especially if they're public. You know, if they even dare to say, you know, we're going to hold steady. No. Mm -hmm. Stocks crash, go down. And, um, yeah, that's when I, I really wonder, okay. And then I think, all right, let's go back. Let's, I'm somebody who likes to think small anyway, but in terms of sustainability, strategies and practices cannot be the same for a large company as for the small ones. And I'm also, I'm personally not interested in, in a world where it's only large companies. I'm interested in the small ones, but I, I wonder if the, that, that ha then there has to be some support from the public to make that possible. And I, I speak to more young people and I see something growing up, but at the same time, you know, we're all confronted with our Primark bags mm -hmm. every day. And, um, and then I wonder. And then I think, well, how, the, how are they supposed to know it? Their parents were buying real garbage 25 years ago. None of these people have even come across a real fabric in the longest time. So how, and if they feel like, I just often want to say, you know, tough shit kids, you gotta wait. You know, this, this idea that you have to have absolutely everything today and then tomorrow you want to get rid of it anyway. There's no, it's self-defeating. It's not only bad for the planet, but there's no way to, to have satisfaction from what you've bought. And there has to be a re-education or re-sensibilization of, of consumers. And also they'll enjoy things more. I don't think I, I mean, sometimes I wonder if I was a freak my whole life, but I don't really think I was such a one-offer. And when you, you have something, you can enjoy it and, and actually grow with it and make it yours. I know all the clothes almost I've ever had. I don't have them all because my body's uh, size changed. <laughs> so a lot of friends got a lot of stuff. But um, I think people are missing out on so much. Mm. First of all, almost no one can do it all at once, especially if we're talking about social responsibility, if we're talking about the whole uh, supply chain and then disposal chain. Um, it's not possible right now, short term, to do it all at once. Every company, I think, has to lay out uh, their priority path and make sure that they're trying to address as much as possible, but maybe you have to address two things and then you address three things and four things. Um, when there's a lot of talk, you know, about all the excess sampling and stuff that's going around. Tommy Hilfiger, when they announced, you know, they were just having their digital showroom, I was not terribly happy about this. I'm still not. But maybe for a company like them, because we're not talking about two sample collections, we're probably talking about a hundred, maybe it's a good idea. But the less Everything, one of the problems, and one of the problems that's leading to junk, it has nothing to do with sustainability, but if you have junk, that is a sustainable problem because it's all there clogging the system. Everything's done on screen, and people don't even, I, I get the sense that nobody even looks at the, the 
the product anymore. Nobody. And if the buyers aren't looking at the product, and maybe there's one quality control person looking at the product, and it's not always about quality control. It's about what it's doing on the body. It's often a question you can just, you and on any every level of fashion, you can always... If you, you you shift a little detail or a little of the, the shape of something, it's day and night. And that's not happening. And when you get the right shape, whether they know it or not, it's one thing that'll sort of help a person keep their clothes longer. And the right shape isn't right forever. But helping them keep their clothes longer means that... You know, they're buying less. And, exactly. Yeah. And this, uh, but it's, when are we going to face this? You know, obviously, we know we know it's so problematic. We know we are both sitting here knowing that the industry has so many flaws. But I think also, how do we make that shift? How do we, I guess, go back on ourselves? Because it really is a case yeah, of we to, we returning that. to the sixties. First of all, people overheat their, you know, in cold climates, they overheat like crazy and they think it's normal to wear a t-shirt in the winter. It is not. That's why there are sweaters, you know, and winter coats, everything had to be so light. And then the yarns are less tightly twisted. Everything has to be soft and everything has to be light. And it doesn't keep you warm and it also doesn't wear. I have coats from real, I, from good manufacturers, I was furious. I wore out the bottom of the sleeve in two years. I had a coat from the 60s. It's now worn out, but I wore it a ton. And it didn't, it didn't wear out. And that's why, I mean, for years, I've worn vintage. Because knowing that a stupid 7th Avenue ready-to-wear manufacturer who wasn't expensive in the 60s made a better product than the stuff that I can't afford now. I understand the frustration about stuff you can't afford, but you can get tips from it. You can get looks from it. You can go out and try to find some secondhand stuff. What's very difficult is that within society, it's such a it's so much more than just clothing because the last people that will have to suffer from these measures taken will be the people who can afford Stella McCartney because they'll be able to always afford the best clothing. Yeah. There was sort of a light, there was a, not a light bulb moment, but it was sort of, you know, an awakening to realize as I walked past Hermes that I didn't have to have the shoes. I was really happy they were so beautiful. But since, and this was in the 80s, so my mother used to sort of waltz up and down Madison Avenue just for the pleasure of it. Mm-hmm. And I was a girl who shopped at Barney's in Century 21 when not finding things on the street or I had my little haunts where I would find amazing stuff. So you grew up Forest Hills, New yeah, York. Far, yeah, Forest Hills, Rigo Park. Not a terribly exciting place. I was a real preppy. I wore and. And that's when I discovered Harris Tweed, and I only wore John Meyer of Norwich and Villager. And I was known in a high school for 2,000 people for always having matching knee socks. And I special ordered my legions. I was crazy. And then at one point, I started having a sneaking suspicion I was going to sort of regret all the Peter Pan collar shirts I had. And then people started thinking I thought a certain way because of what I wore. And I had to change my look overnight. They thought I was conservative, and I am not. What so, did you change your look to? I saw a, 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 a maintenance man wearing carpenter jeans. 
wow, are those great. Where the hell I found them, I do not know. I found them, and I started wearing carpenter jeans. And pull, uh, the pullovers were okay. The crew necks were okay, but the Peter Pan collars my mother also mistakenly took. She did not look good in them, but at that point, I guess she didn't care so much. Well, you've mentioned before that your whole family either worked in fashion or were engaged in the In fashion. Industry. My sister was an art historian and then also worked for every major art magazine around. And ironically, also wrote about fashion a little bit more intellectually, a little bit more conceptually. But she and I, so Debbie was five years ahead of me in school, four years ahead of me in age. She's the only person I would sort of, we shop together that I would listen to and um, vice versa. You know, this idea of going shopping and asking somebody you don't know whether you should buy something online. It's like, why ask somebody who probably doesn't know anything? Why? You know, it's, it's you know, I had, I had my funky friends and we were all into vintage. I, I mean, that started after college, but that started in the early 70s. And we all were into vintage and we found amazing stuff. And I found amazing stuff in Berlin when I first got here in 85. It was unbelievable. Most of it American. Really? Yeah, whereas the, a month before I left for Berlin in New York, I bought my first German sweater. <laughs> so it was just like this, like, Meh. But I mean, that I was addressing uh, the American Women's Club in Berlin. Uh, they were having a fashion show, and I said, people, I, I have this problem. And this is, again, I was, I'd love to ask you how you find it. I said, people, I cannot wear so-called, you know, it's like, what do I do to be sustainable or at least to make, to try to be sustainable in some way? And I said, well, I wear vintage. When I don't wear vintage, I wear my stuff for a very long time or I keep it for a very long time. And when I don't keep it, I give it to friends or whatever. I said, but I cannot wear what is currently marketed under as, as environmentally friendly fashion, I said, sorry, it's too ugly. I can't wear it. It depresses me. And I, I can't buy stuff that depresses me. I think the goal with my work is to enable a world in which there's no aesthetic compromise. Because as someone who's considered about what they wear, that also doesn't mean it's expensive at all no. by any means. I mean, journalism is notoriously not a money spinner. So I'm not willing to make any compromises just because it's recycled, you know, ocean plastic. But there is more coming. There's a lot of room for growth for people who actually have ideas or actually have an identity. The Slow Exposure podcast is supported by Vestia Collective, the leading global app for pre-loved fashion. Like many of us, I'm making changes to be more sustainable in the way I enjoy fashion. And Vestia Collective is making it easier to do this with their Resale Resolutions campaign. Download the app to find out more about small changes which will make a big difference. And to help you on your journey, if you list items to sell, you'll win a voucher to spend on secondhand pieces. Vestia Collective are offering Slow Exposure listeners 25 euros or equivalent in local currency of their first purchase until the end of January. Use Slow Exposure 21 and download the app for more details.
It's interesting to chat to you. We've been talking a little bit about trying to go backwards in time. To yeah, reassess. well, you know, I'm, I like old things. Sorry. There are people who love new things. There are people who love old things. Um, and the 60s weren't, believe me, it was not, you know, it wasn't all glory. And I'm sure the industry had its ups and downs, too. I remember when we started not wearing bras anymore, everyone, when we stopped wearing pantyhose anymore. People freaked out when we start wearing socks. You know, whole industry is going to die. It's sort of normal that there are ins and outs, and you have to sort of bear with it. And people did, and yes, companies went under, but there, there were, wasn't this mass wave of extinction. But when I talk about sustainability within the fashion industry, I don't just mean in, in its most obvious sense, but also in terms of diversity, in terms of inclusivity. And I think that's something... I mean, that's where the, size, the shift for me has been seismic, because I think we've come so far, but both in, an, in a negative sense and in a positive sense. And mm. I don't know what the solution is. I don't know how we get to having, you know, including the positive aspects of what we've developed the fashion industry to be today, but also doing it in a, in a way that's environmentally sustainable. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is. No, me neither. I, I've never had so few answers in my life, really. I have more questions. Um, I'm known in Germany as Miss Abba. You know, I'm always the one who points out the question, points out the, yeah, but, you know, so I annoyed a lot of people over the years. Um, but I, I don't know what the answer is, and that's where I'm hoping and I'm excited about people who think differently. But journalism is annoying people. That is, you're asking the difficult questions. Oh, as fashion editor, the only thing I could do, I felt as a fashion editor, is to be honest and basically give, to sort of be an 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 anchor or, or just a signpost, let people know, they got to know me over the years and they got to know what I thought because I would tell them what I thought. And therefore, they could judge where things might be going or they, they could understand. I was always very proud that I became really good friends with people I gave really bad reviews to because then I'd explain why. And that, as long as you had an explanation of why, it was okay. But the demands on our designers are, are impossible. For years I've been waiting, I've been joking about waiting for the, you know, the entire designer end of the fashion industry to have a cumulative nervous breakdown. There's no way to do it. You can't, I remember Givenchy telling somebody, you know, guys, I couldn't have done this on this, this ridiculous schedule you people on. It just gets sillier and sillier. Yeah, it's it's very hard having a, a clean vest. I'm I'm not I'm not saying I have a white vest. Greta would hate me. It's very very difficult. But all I'm asking consumers is to think, think before you buy. And I I um, quoted this quote. I I lived in William I, I William Morris's house when I was a student in the 70s, and he was the founder of the arts and crafts movement, and basically said, do not have anything in your home that you do not know to be beautiful, or do not believe to be beautiful or useful. And the same thing goes for fashion. The same thing goes for clothes. One thing we haven't talked about, I mean, it's, it's been my, I'm trying to also work it out and flesh it out in my, my, my brain, but I am a great believer that without good design, 
sustainable fashion is not sustainable. It's just junk. But I am excited by, there is a London wave of designers, young designers yeah. that I'm excited by. I mean, Patrick McDowell, Molly Goddard, Bethany Williams, they're all, desi- Ellis is great, Ellis Solomon, designers that I really trust and believe. And what are they using? So where is their sustainability? What, what makes them sustainable? So Ellis works a lot with organic cottons mm-hmm. um she's now working with upcycled yarns as well bethany williams she does a lot in terms of social responsibility and she works a lot with upcycled materials but her her emphasis is very much on the social responsibility mm-hmm. side of it and patrick medals he just did a collaboration with swarovski where he upcycled a lot of their crystals and was able to use them again i think that really is for me the when I'm you know when I'm researching different brands that's what excites excites me the most when they can upcycle recycle materials. Did you see the African exhibit here at the? Oh, it was it was quite good. It was it, I mean the 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 rote Faden was was about hair and in some strange ways which was quite great. Interesting to talk to people about that. But there was young, one young woman. It's but there was a lot of people from Uganda mm-hmm. in this one show and she works with street kids. And doing stuff with old tires and this, the, the knapsacks, the clothes, the stuff she made was fabulous. Really, really fabulous. And that's really, um, it gets exciting when you, you manage to go international too. New York, do you ever go back? No, I'm afraid I'm on strike. Um, do you fall out of love? Well, I fell out of love when I moved. Mm-hmm. I fell out of love in 85 and 84, um, but it had a lot to do with, you know, my, my crowd, the arts and fashion crowd, was being decimated by AIDS. My marriage fell apart. Um, at one point I wondered, do you want to be a fashion editor when you grow up? I wasn't sure, and I thought, well, if you don't know, you better figure it out. And then, ironically, too, though he was only the fourth reason, but Donald was becoming king of New York. And I thought, I, I just got the sense New York was really seriously changing and it was becoming a, a money-only town. Um, before, people wanted to be famous. They wanted to be known, maybe. Everyone wanted to have enough money, but it wasn't only about money. And I had a feeling that money was going to be the only game in town. And with Mr. Trump, I just thought, if he's king of the New York, I don't want to be here. It was him and Leona Helmsley of the hotel chain. And you were pushed away decades, really early decades on. before. I sensed it, and I sensed that it wasn't going to be a town for me. I, all the funny little things. I lived in Tribeca before we had anything, you know, nothing. I used to have to bring my laundry uptown, you know. The, the, it was, it was, that's, I like being in places, that's a little bit of my discomfort in Berlin. I like being in places before they're hip before they're discovered, let's say, before they're in. I like them before they're known. That's the good time. So you have the gift of preempting, being able to sort of Mm. predict what could be on the horizon. And that's a gift I wish I had, especially within the climate that we live in the moment. Do you have... No, I, it's it's. Uh, Do you have that now? It's clouded. Industry? No, it's really clouded. Is that the first time in your life where you? 
No, because used to, I mean, when I moved here too, I used to think I, it was great shame that I, I used to go and have to ask Giorgio and Johnny, what's your inspiration this season? But at least it was this season, and there were only two seasons. Now they get asked this stupid question every four, yeah, four times a year. I mean, it's like, but I did just read something really interesting in Women's Wear. I had to laugh, but, and, but I thought at least there's a little bit of a political frisson in the whole thing. Yeah. The, the yuppie is returning, and that people are doing it in a very tongue-in-cheek manner. Yeah. And I think this is good. My only hope is that somewhere out there, there will be some young people, could be old people too, but if I look at people my age, it's, oh my God, um, especially in Brandenburg. Um, but anyway, that somebody starts coming up with, this is not something you can make happen or predict but that somebody's going to come up with something that'll have a new, a new flavor, a new, a new world view. What inspires you now? It's my garden, I actually. Yeah, it's it's through, it's it's nature. through, it's architecture and nature. Yeah. I hope you found the conversation with Melissa as interesting as I did. Melissa is not on Instagram, but if you have any questions for her, I'm at the Slow Exposure and promise to forward them on. I'll also put my email in the description box. Thank you to Viv Levin for the music and Arthur Laidlaw for editing support. Make sure to subscribe, rate and review. I want to hear your thoughts on the podcast. I'll see you next week for the next episode in the first series of the Slow Exposure podcast. <laughs>